This Choircast podcast episode is brought to you by Wild Olive, where we host game-changing conversation about literature, culture, and the Bible. I'm Jennifer Bird, a biblical scholar. And I'm Jean Patrol, a literature scholar. If you want to change your Bible reading game, you can try reading the Bible as literature. The way writers such as Emily Dickinson, Octavia Butler, Ursula Le Guin, James Baldwin, or Tony Kushner do. Every other week, we let modern writers give a fresh take on a familiar Bible story. Did you know that Emily Dickinson uses woman by the well imagery to explore lesbian desire? (laughs) That's wild. And doesn't June Jordan use a Gospel of Matthew image to describe the civil rights activist Fannie Lou Hamer? Yes. And Tony Kushner's Angels in America uses apocalypse imagery to describe the fall of the Berlin Wall. That's wild. If you like conversations about the Bible that could go anywhere, tune in to Wild Olive wherever you get your podcasts. A bisexual hairstylist who escaped a cult, a black mystic, and a recovering evangelical. What could go wrong? This is the Messy Spirituality Podcast with Lola Robbins, Kyle Butler, and Jason Elam. Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the Messy Spirituality Podcast. We are so excited to have you listening along with us for this episode. Um, We want to mention off the top, as usual, this episode is brought to you by Peaceful Warrior Coffee Company, where you can find freshly roasted beans roasted and shipped to you on the same day that they're roasted from all around the world, peacefulwarriorcoffee.com. Use promo code MESSY for 15% off. I am joined, as always, by Lola and Kyle. Hey, guys. Hey, hey. Hi. We're so happy. (laughs) Today's a good day. We're very excited. (laughs) <laughs> Lola has been sick and she has risen from the dead. So she is feeling very resurrected today. I am Jesus. Actually, that ties hey, in really well with my story today. <laughs> oh, awesome. Okay. <laughs> yes, I am alive again. Also, I have chickens. Update. I'm wow. still foraging in my backyard. And now I have chickens. They haven't died. I've done really well. You know, I have to admit, when you told us you were sick last week, the first thing that I thought of was she ate something that was growing in her yard that she shouldn't have. (laughs) Not that kind of sick, but that would track because I do, yeah. Normally it tastes really bad. Do kitchen witches have a high incident of food poisoning? Not normally. We have a lot of field guides, thankfully. That's good. I'm, I'm glad there's a manual for that. Yes. Eat this, don't eat that. Well, we're glad you're feeling better. Kyle, how are you, my friend? I'm good. Doing good. Okay. As always. Well, it's time. good to talk to both of you. We are joined for this episode by a very special guest host. And we are so excited to welcome the legendary. She is an influencer. I, I hate that term generally, but I love it when it applies to Lacey. Lacey Bean is with us. She is an incredible Instagrammer. She's on Facebook. She does YouTube videos. She's going to tell us about all of that. Lacey Bean, welcome to the Messy Spirituality Podcast. We are so Hello. excited to have you here. Thank you. It is always ridiculously weird when I get called an influencer. I don't know why my stomach's like that feels weird. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? You did a you did an incredible video for the Parenting Deconstruction book when it came out, uh, which was a review, oh, right? Thank you. But when you did it, I was like, "That 
is what an influencer should be. You were such a natural at it. You are such a freaking badass on your social media that it's like, oh, finally, someone who's using this for good, you know? And so just keep using your powers for good. We beg you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I love it. I get some crazies. Uh, I definitely get some crazies on there. But for the most part, it's really good. And the crazies just actually give me a dose of laughter because it's hilarious. Some of the things that are said at me, it's, it's wild. How often do you get called a complete heretic? Um, I, I don't think I get called a heretic very often. I get argued with a lot. But do you want me to read you the message I got on Instagram? Oh, last definitely. It's, Absolutely. Am I allowed, am I allowed to... I don't know if this one has... Wait, can I pause this one second and just say, like, as the hairstylist on this podcast, your hair is amazing. And for our listeners that can't see her, she has the most <laughs> vivid, beautiful purple that I can't stop staring at. So I just have to plug Thank that. <laughs> I just refreshed it today. So I was like, I am not going on this podcast, even though it's a podcast. Still. No, still. Like, I'm not I mean, going to have it faded. I get so. it. Okay, what is the comment? I have to know. <laughs> That's funny. Okay, so it was actually a message I got. And I got it a while back, but apparently it went to my um, hidden folder. Oh. And so this says, Hope you enjoy your 80 years of pleasure on earth, you sacrilegious cretin. One day, the dye from your hair will chisel away at your fried hairline, and all that will be left is a bald, lost woman who thought she knew, when in reality, on her death, he meant to say bed, but he said bead, <laughs> she will be ready to be consumed and raped by demons. Oh my goodness. <laughs> that is horrific. Oh my God. Right? I was like, oh my gosh. I just laughed, but I was like, dang, that last line, like you had some big feelings, sir. From a good old Christian, I would assume. Wow. That, yes. What yes. the hell? Yeah. That is insane. Um, listener, if if the person who sent you that happens to be listening, which I'm guessing they won't, please, for the love of God, get therapy. Right? And you, they have like some obscure username. Their profile picture is Winnie the Pooh that looks like she's stoned, he or she's stoned on so many drugs. And it's a private account. So like, it's just a troll. Just a troll account. Wow. Uh, That's horrific. I love that. Just kidding. So do you get fan mail like that often? No, that was my first one on Instagram because I didn't, like I haven't really been growing Instagram until this year, until TikTok started doing weird stuff and not pushing videos out for a lot of us. But um, yeah, that was the first one I got. And I was like, well, that was a heck of a starter. <laughs> Golly. Well, that's probably just the beginning of your fan mail. But yeah. On YouTube, it's always my purple hair. YouTube, I had a lady call me a witch, which I was like, thank you for the compliment. Yes. But that's not what she meant. No. But she was like, and you can tell she's a witch by the purple on her hair, by the color wow. of her hair. And she was mad at the video I did on Robbie Zacharias because I was calling him out on and exposing all of the horrible crap he did when he was alive to women. Yeah. Wow. But I'm the witch. <laughs> have you been have you been called Jezebel yet? I don't know if I've been called one. Not that not that rings off the top of my head. I'm not gonna say no because there's a lot of comments I don't read because of my ADHD, it hits like a hundred or more and I'm like, All right, I'm I out. am done checking yeah. that one. <laughs> That's very smart. It just seems like any, uh, there are some men, especially, that any woman who knows the sound of her own voice and is confident gets a, gets a label of Jezebel, especially if she has hair that is colored 
delightfully such yeah. as yours. Delightfully yeah, a lot of the <laughs> a lot of the men that say stuff to me, they'll call me out on my looks, my hair, and my age. They try to say that I look 40, which is fine. I don't really care. But it's usually from Republican men when I'm talking about like trans laws or uh, gun rights or gun uh, reform or anything like that. Wow. So that's what I, I'm like. That's your, that's your uh, defense. <laughs> pretty weak argument, but all right. So when you yeah. get the hate mail, when people criticize you in the comments and when they call you names, does that make you want to repent and love Jesus more, Lacey? Or what does that, how do you feel Honestly, about all that? It makes me want to do a couple seances just <laughs> to spite them, even though I have no idea what I'm doing. Uh, I would just want to do a few. <laughs> yes. <laughs> chanting, right. chanting, chanting, chanting. That, that wow. song, Labor, I keep... I can't get it out of my head. Um, I fr- it's Par- yes. by Paris, whatever. It's on TikTok. If you search labor, you will hear it. Yes. And that whole yep. nymph I... and a virgin, nurse and a servant. <sighs> yes. Gut me. Yes. Okay. I listened to it on repeat the other day. And my husband was like, I had it in my, Air- my AirPods. And he's mm-hmm. like, oh, you're finally listening to music. And I literally was just listening to that song over and over again, which like doesn't even apply to me because like my husband's like super supportive and everything. <laughs> but the whole time listening to it, I was thinking of like religion and like God, like that yes. was what was put on me so much growing up. Yes. yes. Oh my goodness. Wow. Everyone listen to that song. That's my recommendation of the day. Yes. Oh. So good. Is it available outside of TikTok? Because as you know, I'm a senior citizen yes. who has never <laughs> visited that website. Yeah, YouTube. Yes. You can listen to it on okay. YouTube. There good. is actually a wonderful music video for the song on YouTube that you must see. I mean, it is feral. It is wild woman, unhinged. I, I can't, I, I'm speechless about it, to be honest. It's just highly recommended. I love it. Mm. All right, to all my fellow ex-evangelicals out there that are wondering what the hell these people are talking about, we're going to put a link in the show notes so you can experience <laughs> that song for yourself, okay? And on go. that note, it's time. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's Auntie Lola's What the Fuck Bible Story Time. <laughs> what the fuck? Okay. So... Today, we're talking about Jesus' crucifixion and return. Uh, Christianity's epicenter is pretty much this story. As Jesus is taken from his best friends, uh, tortured, humiliated, literally nailed to a splintery, disgusting cross, he's mocked and stabbed and spit on for a very long time. He gets trash thrown at him and soldiers gambling over his clothes. Meanwhile, one of his posse is hanging himself out of guilt. His mother is crying. The sky turns fucking black. And it's all because he said, just be nice to each other or you're going to suffer the consequences of your actions. And then three days later, some nice ladies, they show up to finish anointing Jesus' body because that's super sweet and nice and helps it to not smell. Um, but they find it empty. And instead, there's a zombie Jesus, but he's alive and well and happy and he scares the shit out of everybody. And then he gives some final instructions and he just ascends to heaven. And it's disturbing and nice and horrible. And I have a lot of feelings about all of it. Should we have done it? What, what was the point? Is there a point? I don't know. 
Why is crucifixion so normal? <laughs> That's my thing. What the fuck? Wow. Yes, exactly. Crucifixion was so heinous and it was so um, commonly used that I just wonder how desensitized do you have to be to think this is a solution to anything? I, how did, who came up with these? I want to know who hurt them. <laughs> who came up with these punishments? Like, who hurt you? Are you okay? It's wild. I mean, obviously, like, there's an evil side to humans. I mean, with Lacey doing true crime stories, you know that, like, you can enter this part of your mind that just is so dark and it technically is evil, you know, in some ways. So, like, it's a sickness and you can give yourself over to it. You can vibrate so low that, that you get to that point. And it's like, how did we get here? How did we come back from this? Are you okay? <laughs> what do? Really? What do? Well, and like the desensitization of that, even to today, like I was, I saw in some Facebook group, a mom who their kid still goes to like a day, a Christian daycare and her kid came home with a picture, like a coloring picture of Jesus on the <gasps> cross that all the children were to color. And I was like, like you literally gave the child a picture of a man being tortured to his death and said, here kids, color. What? Yeah, I really just want to go into the curriculum. I want to go into the curriculum houses that make these coloring books and just say, you know, here's a picture of Troy Davis, who was executed by the state of Georgia in the electric chair as he's being fried to death. Let's have all the kids color that. Yeah. Now, that's a terrible idea right? for everyone right. involved and would be traumatizing, right? With their thinking, oh, this is somebody who was executed by the state. And some people cheered and some people cried, but it's a horrific moment. Who the hell thinks it's a good idea to put this in front of kids on a regular basis? I remember being terrified as a kid. I mean, really, not even just as a kid, up to teenage years. Every time I walked by a picture of Jesus hanging on the cross, I was just like traumatized all over again. I was like, because I'd been told that was my fault. Oh, yeah. That I was responsible. And so we get all this stuff heaped on us and then we need therapy. And so it's so good that we have people like Lacey Bean on social media to help us unpack all of the baggage. People like Kyle, who is excellent at helping us find the positive. So Kyle, what's the way forward? Because we are obviously so completely screwed up that we have our children coloring execution scenes. Yeah, it's, it's, it's troubling. And, you know, growing up in that environment, you didn't see it that way. Because one of the things that happens is the programming is designed to make us eternally in a state of gratitude. Now, the, the only organization this serves is the church because we're always serving. We think we're serving a Jesus. We think we're giving our gratitude and our thanks to a Jesus because he's done so much for us. Technically nothing. But because that programming is so deep, again, the only organization or organism that benefits is the church. But that's, you know, that's part of that programming. You, you can't feel like you don't want to go to church because Jesus has done so much for you. You can't feel like you don't want to serve because 
Jesus has done so much for you. You can't feel like you don't want to be part of something because Jesus has done so much for you. And that image is always flashed before you to make you so guilty and, and so full of, well, I guess I should because Jesus has done so much for me. And that's one of, that's only one of the very troubling aspects of the whole thing. You know, the other part that I, I would probably just throw in real fast is if this was a plan of a God, why did God wait so long to enact this plan? Do you know how many billions of people this God murdered and, and killed with his genocidal acts because of our behavior? All the while he had this master plan sitting in his back pocket. So, you know, no matter how you look at it, when you look at it, when you're really looking at it and thinking about it, it's just a horrible, it's just horrible all the way around. So I think that, you know, the, the way to move forward is to continue to talk about it from the actual, what it actually depicts and what it actually says. Not from the glorified view the church tries to give us. Again, Jesus has done so much for us because as you said, Jason, we deserve this. Um, but, you know, there's so many of us now that are actually talking about what it actually looks like, what it actually sounds like, what it actually means. And I think that's the way forward, really talking about it in the actuality of of being outside the church narratives. Mm, that's so important. Lacey, I want to dive into your deconstruction origin story. And so we normally start off by, by asking the question, were you raised in an atmosphere of faith? I was not. Good for I you. Threw- yeah, good for you. For this. <laughs> good, good, good for you. <laughs> So I didn't grow up in religion. Um, my parents, my dad was raised Baptist. My mom, I don't know if they really went to church growing up, but she grew up in a very toxic household. Her dad was an alcoholic, abusive man. And so she got married really quick and moved out as soon as she could. Um, and then when we, they started having kids, they went to church. We went to like Baptist church because we lived in Texas. So, you know, Baptist galore. And... Um, the church we were attending, the pastor had an affair with the secretary and ran off Classic. with her. So they got a new pastor. Yeah, right? They got a new pastor and they got a new secretary. And then the next pastor had an affair with the new oh secretary. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it's a spirit in that yes. church. That was a spirit. And ran off. And so um, can I say inappropriate things on here? Yes, of course. We encourage you. I hope you will. <laughs> Lola doesn't want to feel alone. Yeah. So... Um, yeah, so that lady, uh, that pastor ran off after the second time. My dad said that, um, how, is he take it, how is he supposed to take advice from a man that can't keep his dick in his pants? And so Stay they louder. stopped going to church. Good question. <laughs> That's exactly what he said. And we never went back to church. And I was probably four or five. I, I don't know how young I was. I was really young. And so um, my parents grew up in the generations of, children are seen and not heard, you know, that's how they were raised. And so that just develops in adults, the inability to meet the emotional needs of your children. And that cycle continued. And my dad did what he was taught by working as much as he could and to provide for us. And we were very poor, living paycheck to paycheck type family. And so with my parents, and my mom didn't know how to be emotionally present because she had lived with an abusive father. And so in her head, the household and growing up was way better than, than, you know, or was amazing. 
in reality, it was way better than what she had, but it still left me with not having that emotional need, need met. And so I found religion and threw myself into it 1000% at a very young age. I started going to church with all my friends in junior high. And we started going to um, like youth group and stuff like that with them. And, you know, Jesus died for your sins and you need to be the best you can be. And it filled my heart up. And so I latched on and I always was always searching for more and more and more. So in right before the end of college, I was in high school, I went to a church like meeting and I fell in love with it because they were like on fire for God and they were doing all the things and they were absolutely sold out. And so they were the real Christians <laughs> in my head. So I was like, I need to join them. So I started going to their services and I started connecting with, you know, the pastor and all the other members. And they had a leadership group that wore uniforms to church, camel pants and black shirts. I know, I know, I know. Because <laughs> they were in God's army. Red flag, red flag, and, red flag. I know. We're all getting lazy and in this night, look of confusion. I know. Since no and I'm over this. here at that time like <laughs> And I'm over here like, uh, that looks amazing. And I want to be involved. <laughs> so I, mean, I wanted, right? I wanted to be involved so bad. And the pastor was very involved in all of the, you know, young adults. It was a bunch of young adults that were, you know, part of this group. And he was very involved. So he was like a father figure to him. And since I didn't, I had that, you know, gap from my dad, I was like, this is what I need. And so I asked my parents and got permission through a series of events. I ended up graduating high school a year early because I wanted to go to college and join this ministry and everything. And I did. And I was in that ministry for five years. It was like a mom... I didn't find out a lot about this until after I got out of it. But... Um, the pastor got passed over for a promotion. Uh, I think the associate pastor left and like he was the youth pastor and they passed him over for the associate position and he got mad. So he was like, I'm just going to leave and start my own church. <laughs> and he did. And it was a bunch of just literal teens and college students. So I was in that for five years um, and I hated it. It was super controlling. We had to sign a covenant to be in leadership and uh, we had to wear that uniform and we did performances and our services were on Saturday nights and they lasted four or five hours Ooh. and there was so much judgment. We weren't allowed to date at all whatsoever. And so I went through all my college years, not dating. I was made to feel like shit just for like having a crush on a boy. Like how dare you? You're lusting after them. Like don't even... We couldn't listen to secular music. We couldn't drink, smoke, you know, all that jazz. We were like, you have to read your Bible every single day, um, pray. I can't even remember what was in it because I burned it after I left. Smart. <laughs> yeah. And I tried to leave a couple times and I was so over it. It was so controlling. And I tried to leave, but the pastor told me that if I left, my parents would not come to know Jesus and it would be my fault. Oh. And so wow. I stayed. Yeah. And I was probably at this time, I was probably, because I graduated at 16 and started with them and moved out at 16. So I was probably maybe 18 around this time. So yeah, that was a lot of pressure and I wasn't able to like 
carry that as a young teen, as a you know, you know, older teen, young adult. I couldn't bear that. So I was like, okay, I'll stay. And so much, so much control. What did you believe about God during that period of your life? I believed that God loved us the most. Like all of us in this ministry, we were doing the most for God and He loved us better than any of the other churches because they they were lukewarm Christians. We were the on-fire ones. And so He loved us more. <laughs> was this just like a non-denominational church or was it charismatic or Pentecostal? It was it was Heinz 57 of the denomination. <laughs> it really was. There was, <laughs> it was a little bit of everything. <laughs> it was... Oh my gosh. It was very Pentecostal in the sense like our worship lasted a couple hours. We did the hooting and hollering and jumping up and down and all of that. But they definitely had the more authoritarian type, fundamentalist Baptist type, um, like men are the head of the household, men are the providers, which I think is pretty much in most sects of Christianity. But they would classify themselves as like non-denominational and that it wasn't a religion. It was a relationship. Right, yeah, of course. <laughs> they always said that. So yeah, it, it was considered non-denominational. But when I like tried to like go back and like piece it together in my head, I was like, I think it was like a little bit of everything <laughs> they had going on. And, and a whole lot of a cult. <laughs> and a whole, a whole lot of a cult. Oh my gosh, a whole lot. I finally had the opportunity. I was going to school at the time. I was doing um, early childhood K through six with special ed K through 12. My cousin is autistic. And so I got a job in Dallas, which was like four hours away from where I lived, um, working with some autistic kids for the summer and I was getting college credit for it. Well, when I was doing that, my aunt did not want me to stay in that cold. And so she was like, hey, I found this church and you should go try it out. And so I was like, okay, cool. Like, I'll just go, you know, I'll have somewhere to go. And I went to their young adults class. Uh, it was like the first time I ever went to this church. And I met my husband. <laughs> he was there. His parents were there. Uh, I got to meet his parents and his whole family. Um, and it's funny because like used to, when I would tell the story, I would always be like, it was such a God thing and God was shining them to me. And now that I've deconstructed, it's like hard for me to say that because I'm like, do I believe that? Or was it just the universe being like, you need to get out of this situation. <laughs> right. It was the universe <laughs> delivering you from a cult. <laughs> yes, right. Exactly. Uh, so I met him and I really, really liked him. Uh, he really liked me, but he was very slow in like pursuing me because remember, I was not allowed to date at all. And so it was like, no one's going to know about you. You're just a friend. <laughs> Everything's fine. <laughs> and then um, his parents... Tricked us into go, tricked me into going out to dinner with them uh, after church the next Sunday, and they're like, "You want to come have lunch with us?" Or no, he asked me, "Do you want to go have lunch?" And I was like, "Sure." And then his parents were like, "Okay, so we're gonna go." And I realized it was his whole family, so I was like, "Oh, I thought it was like everybody going out to lunch, not just the family." <laughs> they like got me to go to lunch with them, and he was in ministry school at the time, and so after that lunch, they were like, "Okay, bye," and everyone left. And he didn't have a car because he was in ministry school. And so I was like, okay, you're stuck with me. <laughs> <laughs> so he gets in my car and I'm like, I, I felt like I was sinning. I, I was a whore in that moment because a boy was in my car. Like that was, 
they took purity to a whole nother level. We, it, the couples that did like were able to court and go through that process. They wouldn't kiss until their altar. Right. It was the most awkward thing to witness in my yeah. life. Yeah. It is. I don't know if you've ever seen that. And I hope you never do because it is that talk about a worst first kiss, man, with hundreds of people just watching you. Yes, terrifying. <laughs> have you guys ever seen that at a wedding? People do. Oh, that? definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It's not. weird, isn't it? People I who don't not. know how to kiss, kissing in front of a large crowd of people. It's oh, very God. uncomfortable. Yeah. Everyone's uncomfortable. Awkward. Everybody. So um, through a series of events, talking to him and like meeting his family, his mom was a pastor at a ministry school. And she said the word bitchin' one time and I was like, oh my gosh, but she loves Jesus. And so that like threw everything into a whole nother realm of like, okay, people can love God. And say bitchin'. Yeah, yeah, and say bitchin' and not have all these crazy rules. And so they were able to help me escape from that cult. I had one semester left. I had my student teaching left of school, but I knew if I went back, they would suck me back in. And so I was like, nope. And so I gave it all up. I gave up my job, my house, uh, the, the people I was living with, um, school. I gave up everything because it was all tied to the ministry. Literally everything was tied to the ministry. And I left and the pastor said awful things to me and to my husband. He called my husband an old man after young booty. He's five years older than me. <laughs> he told me that I was going to... Uh, I just wanted to live church and that I was going to regret this. And and then he would always be like, well, your family will be here to welcome you back when you're ready. Uh, <laughs> what a loving yeah. invitation back though. <laughs> that just really, that draws me in. No. <laughs> uh-huh. Good Lord. And my husband from day one was like, honey, that's a cult. And I was like, no, it's not. Uh, it, was, it was a ministry. It took me two years after leaving. Two years to finally go, okay, yeah, that was a cult. And then it took me until 2020 to finally like publicly share my story and be like, yeah, I was in a cult. That's okay. Jason had to help me come to the understanding that I also was part of a cult because <laughs> I definitely didn't think I was. I was like, no, it's fine. It was, it was just, yeah, it's the Church of Christ. They're conservative. It's fine. He's like, no, they were a cult, but it's okay. You're okay. <laughs> Yes, it's wild. And I have people that will argue with me. It's not a cult. And I'm like, yes, it was. Like, not everything is Jonestown right. yeah. cult. Like, there are, it's a spectrum, like, yeah, just like everything it's a spectrum. else. There's almost like different levels to it, whatever. Oh, and Lacey, yeah. you said earlier, you know, that you guys were the only ones that like had it right. We also were the only ones who had it right. <laughs> I mean, like, Kyle's raising his hand. I, I see a common right. denominator between the four of us. Yes. <laughs> I saw a video on TikTok where a girl was like, I am so thankful that my parents knew the one right religion and taught me and I get to go to heaven. And then she goes, wait, your parents taught you the same thing? Oh. <laughs> so this realization yeah. of like every religion thinks it's right. Ain't that just the fucking way. <laughs> oh. mm. That's mm-hmm. how it is. And then one day, after 20 years of ministry, you wake up and realize you were probably leading a cult at some points in your right? ministry. Oh. And then you've got a lot to repent for. It's really rough. Cult, do you, uh, Kyle, do you ever have those, uh, I was a, I was a, I was <laughs> cult, a cult yeah. leader moment? <laughs> of course, of course. You know, I break it down like this. It's really simple because we tell you when to come. 
We tell you when to leave. We tell you when to stand up. We tell you when to clap. We tell you when to sing. We tell you when to give your money. I mean, it's every church is a cult. It really is. Lacey, when you, you said it was two years from the time that you left that cult before you could recognize that it was a cult, what's happening inside of you during those two years? Are you starting to change the way you see yourself? Yeah. And this is around the time I started to deconstruct without realizing that's what I was doing. I had already kind of shifted my view of like homosexuality and that kind of stuff, but I wasn't vocal about it. I didn't have a voice when I was in the cult. If I felt like God told me something and I said it to the leadership, they'd be like, oh, God's not saying that. He's saying this. So it always undermined what I was feeling. And it just further disconnected me from my own intuition, my own body. And so I had already kind of like changed a few views. But since I was so disconnected, I was like, I can't. I can't voice this. So I still was playing the church game. I was still really involved in Christianity and my husband's family was, you know, he was raised in it and his family moved around for God and ministry stuff. And so I had married into that. And so I just went along with it and was like, this is comfortable. But I was definitely deconstructing and realizing that spirituality was very different. And I was thinking at the time I was growing into a healthier spirituality because a lot of what the ministry taught was like, you sacrifice all your dreams and visions for God. Like if you follow your heart, then you're sinning. And then I was changing it to God gave me these visions. God gave me these desires and it's okay to pursue it because he gave them to me. And that made me feel like I was actually like, following God and following something that was healthier, which it was definitely a lot healthier than being in the cult. But then 2020 hit. And that was the year that changed everything. Um, Do you want me to get into that and tell you how it all came crashing down? (laughs) So I, and I've said this before on my TikTok a lot, I voted for Trump in 2016. And I didn't know. Lola, she has one of your red hats. (laughs) Kyle's like, I'm gone. I'm done. (laughs) I know what's happening here. I was there too. Okay. (laughs) And 2016 was a horrible year for me. Um, My middle child was born that year and my husband lost his job. And the next job he got was in the middle of uh, Silver Falls State Park in Oregon. If you know where that's at, it's like the most beautiful state park in all of Oregon. And we actually lived in the state park in a fifth wheel. I was like eight months pregnant when we moved in. And a month later, I gave birth to my second child. <laughs> so all of our stuff was in storage. And after she was born, three weeks after she was born, we found a tumor on her neck. And so then she was in physical therapy for like twice a week. And we had to drive all the way to town, which is 45 minutes and then 45 minutes back. And I had an older, you know, a two and a half year old and a baby while I'm trying to figure this out. She had like, we had a bunch, she had a tongue and lip tie that wasn't noticed until she was like uh, a month and a half or no, three months old. And she was five pounds underweight. And so she was basically starving and we didn't know it. Uh, so there was so much going on. And because we lived out in the middle of, no- of nowhere, I was disconnected from a lot of the election stuff that was going on. And so to me, the 2016 election was just 
vote Republican because that's what you've always done. That's what you've been taught. And I had actually said, and I don't know where this came from, but I had said this before. I was like, if they would have brought Bernie Sanders in instead of Hillary, I would have voted for him. I don't know why I said that, but I literally would have voted for him. And I don't know why, but I wish they would have. (laughs) But I voted for Trump. And uh, then when 2020 hit, my brother, who is gay, was on the phone with me and said, He's he's very bold and what he does he doesn't hold back and so he goes are you going to vote for Trump and I said yeah I think so and he goes why I said well I just think he's done a lot of really good things and and you know he can keep going and my brother goes what has he done and I go um and that was it I was like you don't know any good things he's done at all at all whatsoever and then he goes. Do you know about his like sexual assault allegations? I was like, no, what are you talking about? And he started to tell me about all of them and the underage children. And I was like, are you kidding me? And he's like, no, honey, there's actually like court documents. Like I'll send them to you. And I was like, please do. And he sent them to me and I read them and I just sat there bawling. And everything in that moment just came crashing down because I, I'm not the only, I'm not the only one that didn't know this. I know that people that voted for him knew all of this and just looked past it, and not only looked past it, but were saying that this was God's man. Excuse me. Did did we just take everything that we learned about at growing up in Christianity and throw it out the damn window? Yep, we sure what did. What the fuck is going on? Yeah, we sold it for political power. We did, and I struggled, and I was having so much anxiety. And my, I had some family over and they were talking to me and somehow Trump got brought up and I had this look on my face and they were like, what's wrong? And I said, I don't like him. I don't like him as a person. He is, I I hate him. And they looked at me and said, well, you vote for him because that's what God said to do. And I'm in my head like, but that's not what God's telling me to do. Who authorized these people to be the mouthpiece of God? I need to meet them. I didn't know they were in direct communication. Yeah, I know. Like, can we, can I, please, this would be nice. Can I have Thou a shall vote once, Republican. Yes. Uh, yeah, and I was terrified because most of, you know, a lot of people who are really close to me vote Republican. And so me voting for Joe Biden was, going to be a slap in the face. And I was also very much done being the silent, like flower child, you know? So I had to tell my, I didn't have to, but I, you know, told my husband, I'm not voting for him. And I don't think I'm Republican anymore. And my husband very much regrets this. He was like, he had a really bad reaction. (laughs) He was very shocked. And he even now we've talked about it. He was like, that was so stupid. I can't believe I had that reaction. But that is the type of reaction a lot of Christians have because it feels like if you don't vote Republican, you're literally going against God himself. And I had to realize that there are a lot of other Christians who are Democrats. And that's when I met Pastor Paul. I don't know if you guys know him on TikTok. Uh, if you know him or not. You know, I don't know him, it. but so, let's plug that. <laughs> yeah, Pastor Paul, absolutely love him. Uh, he did 
life coaching. And so I actually started doing life coaching with him because I was drowning. I had nobody to talk to about all my changes. I was having so much anxiety. Two doctors diagnosed me with depression within four days of each other, not talking to each other. And they were like, you need to be on medicine right now. And I was like, I'm fine. <laughs> They're like, no, you're not. <laughs> so I started doing life coaching with, with Pastor Paul and he was amazing. He helped me come out of my shell. And so TikTok really helped. TikTok changed my life so much with just learning about progressive Christianity and um, atheists who had gone to biblical, you know, theology school and all of that seminary and then turned atheist and what, what we did and don't know about the Bible and cultural context and all of that stuff and realizing how much was hidden from us growing up. And I was like, you know what? I love this and I'm done living in this shell and hiding all my changes. I'm done. And so little Nas X came out with his Satan shoes and Christians lost their ever loving shit. And I was like, you guys are a bunch of crybabies. And I made my first like Christianese TikTok. And I said, Christians were pissing me off. And I went on about the shoes. And I was like, we have bigger things to worry about. Like kids are going hungry. You know, I can't remember what else I said. But not only did I post it to TikTok, I posted it to Facebook and to Instagram. And I was like, everybody, I ripped the bandaid off. I was like, yep, this is me now, everybody. Like, I'm done. And my friends on Facebook and Instagram just started going down. I had people calling family. Um, is she okay? And then I had other people reaching out. We need to put her on the prayer list. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then I had other people reaching out being like, good job. I'm so proud of you. Keep going. And it was not only did that change, but we actually used to be anti-vaxxers. And COVID changed that a lot because we had always said if if something happens and something broke out, we'd get that vaccine and COVID came out and all these people who were pro-vaccine were now anti-vaccine. And I was like, what is going on? And again, TikTok changed my mind. I met doctors and scientists and immunologists, and everybody. And that changed my mind about vaccines altogether. So we went from anti-vaxxers to pro-vaxxers and fully vaccinating our children. And that was another ginormous change that was absolutely hard for some people to stomach and made for some rocky relationships along the road. So did it hurt when you lost your salvation, Lacey? <laughs> you know what? Depending on the Christian you asked. Did it hurt when you fell down to hell? When you fell from grace, did that did, did it injure you in some way? <laughs> no, no. But if you ask some Christians, I'm still saved because once saved, always saved. That's so, true. And I, I've been to that church. I was all yeah. in it. So, right, you put so, in your time, and I have, I have, I have some clients that will use that to the, on their parents when they like tell them, "I'm not a Christian anymore." But if you believe <laughs> what they right. always think, then you don't have you to worry don't about have my soul. to torment <laughs> me at all because I'm going to go the same place you are. <laughs> yeah, we're good. I can say bitching, and I'll see you in heaven. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, and that's the goddamn gospel. <laughs> Yes. Oh my God. So when you came out on Facebook as a raging deconstructionist, was your family concerned? I mean, were you like getting pushback from people that you actually cared what they thought of you? Yes. Yes. Um, I got a lot. Um, It was my side of the family was a lot of them weren't Christians. Um, A lot of them still aren't Christians. They're, I have a, I have a, 
hodgepodge of family and spirituality. And so they were actually very excited because they felt like they got me back. But the Lacey that they grew up with and seeing me kind of step into my own and grow up was very refreshing, especially for my brother and sister. They had been like just cheerleaders on this whole process for me. But there have been some family members that uh, I really valued their input in my life. And when I went through this, I put very strong boundaries up and said, I want to walk through this by myself. I want to figure this out by myself. Um, and that was really hard for them because they were so used to being able to speak into my life and be a part of my spiritual growth. Setting that boundary was very uncomfortable for everybody involved. And we've had to navigate the changes within both of our relationships because we were very close. And now we believe very different things spiritually and politically. And so it's no matter how much you try, the relationship is going to change in some way, shape or form. And it did. And there were some times where we just had to have a lot of distance. At that time, those two years, I was living in Idaho at the time and we had no family around us on either side. And so it literally gave us the time to process this by ourselves, which I think was very healing for my husband and I um, because there was a lot that he had to process along the way because he was not on this deconstruction journey with me for a while. He was just holding space for me and like trying to figure out how to walk through this while also not letting our marriage crumble because we still love each other. And it took about two years and our relationships were very hard, but he did an amazing job holding space for my changing beliefs and trying to navigate through all of that. But yeah, it was very hard with some relationships. Boundaries. You have to set boundaries. (laughs) Yeah, I was about to ask you, what advice do you give to somebody who's in that middle of that journey right now? Set boundaries right now. That is number one, because people are going to assume that you are who you have been. And so if religion or religious talk makes you uncomfortable, and it's going to continue to make you uncomfortable because they're going to continue to bring it up until you set that boundary and say, hey, I'm changing and I just don't feel comfortable with X, Y, and Z. And that can be really hard for people, especially when the person is like their parent or a a loved one or a pastor that they've had their entire life that they look up to trying to tell them, I don't know that I believe in Jesus. And because the response is always going to be, some kind of evangelical response of trying to rope you back in. And so I always say, set boundaries, set boundaries, set boundaries. And get a TikTok, apparently. And get a TikTok, yeah. Seriously, get a TikTok. (laughs) If if the government takes TikTok away, I'm going to be so pissed because TikTok saved me on so many occasions. Like you get exposed to so much culture, so many different points of view, so many different perspectives in short form and it's very quick and it I, I just love it. Yeah. Get a TikTok. So where are you today spiritually? How would you identify yourself? Yeah, great question. I would love to answer that. I don't know. <laughs> Wait, I saw a post on your Facebook that said twenty twenty three agnostic atheist. And yes. I stalked your Facebook before this because I was like, hey, I need to know things about this woman. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I do it too. We all do. So is that not entirely accurate? Or is it like, are you are you straddling the lines? Yeah, it's the best way that I know how to describe it at the moment. 
I I would say I probably do believe that there is a God of some sorts, but I do not believe in the Christian God. I do not believe in the biblical God because he is a narcissistic, horrible person. Ah, say like, the least. I, no. Say yeah. the least. No. Yes, to say the least. God is a I, woman. We talked about this the other day. I made a video. Yeah. He, I like made a video about how God is a narcissist and that offended some people. And I was like, I can see how that would offend you. But, but it's still let's true. Let's talk about the Bible. Yeah. It's still true. And I said, okay, let's take the Bible, for instance. Okay, God sent out two female bears to maul 42 children because they called a man baldy. Uh, like, I, I, we can just keep going with these stories. But like, you can't look at that. Literally and, every what the fuck Bible story on this podcast is yes. evidence of a narcissistic, manipulative God that calls itself Father. Yes. Homicidal, yes, exactly. genocidal exactly. maniac. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, how do you believe in that? How do you how do you follow that God? And how do you not see? I can see how it offends you, but he's still a narcissist. So, so. But I've heard people say like atheists, like you can be agnostic atheist. There's like you're both at the same time. So like you're not saying that God doesn't exist, but you're also saying God. Uh, that you're not saying you go. What am I trying to say? <laughs> You're not saying God doesn't exist, but you're also not saying that God does exist. There we go. Got it. <laughs> I think anybody who's honest after deconstruction, if deconstruction is really about giving up certainty, right? We are all agnostic in many ways. Yeah. And so I think there's a, a coming to terms with that, right? And that's the healthiest thing. But when you're taught that certainty is what gives you salvation, um, that's a really rough adjustment. Has the fallout for you been devastating, like overall? Um, what do you mean by fallout? Like friends and community? Yeah, I mean, it's just complete and total life change. When I see your videos, you look like you're thriving and, and living your best life. <laughs> is that accurate in your day-to-day? Honestly, it really is. I have never been as happy as I have been at, 30, you know, however old I am, 32, about to be 33. I, I am, I feel like I'm finally living my twenties out, but I'm living it in my thirties and I'm super happy. I don't go to church. I do whatever the hell I want. I'm raising my kids in a, such a healthy mindset in so many different ways. And I'm speaking my opinion for the first time. And I don't care whose feelings it hurt. Some, one of my more my therapist told me one time, um, you can't, because I was like, I just don't know how to do this. I don't know how to say this. I don't know if I should bring it up. And they said, you can't control somebody else's reaction. They are responsible for their own emotions. You can only handle yourself. So say and do what you need to do and let them handle their own emotions. They're not your responsibility. And I, I have to remind myself of that constantly. Because we, as Christians, are people pleasers and we don't want to hurt other people's feelings. And by me just speaking my opinion and having my voice, I am hurting other people's feelings. And I have to realize that's not my fault. That's if they want to be offended by it, that's their choice. And that's usually from not setting proper boundaries. I have some family members that I, I'm friends with them on social media, but I unfollow them because I do not want to see their stuff because it will offend me and it will piss me off. So I set that boundary. And sometimes people don't set those boundaries and I think they should. Yeah, absolutely. 
Well, we're going to put links to all of your social media in the show notes so that people Thank can you. find you all over. I'll even, you know, wander into the world of TikTok and try to find a link for you there <laughs> so that people can find you off in the vast wasteland of TikTok. But um, you mentioned, and I know that this is not like yes. a fully formed thing, but you are working on a book. I am. This is really exciting. Actually, so what's your book really going to be about? Exciting. So I actually haven't even talked about this on my face on my on any of my socials. So this is like the first time I'm talking you about it. Here, friends. Yeah. Yes. So it is about finding me and it's about finding yourself after leaving religion and kind of giving tips and pointers on like what can help you find your authentic self. And so it'll be advice while also sharing my story along the way. Um, and I already have the outline for it. I have an amazing friend, um, Irene, shout out to Irene. She helped me do all of the outline and everything. And I'm starting to do all of writing for it. I'm hoping it'll be done and available before the end of 2023 is my hope and my goal. Well, I'm so excited about your book and I can't wait for it to come out and we will plug the hell out of that thing when it's released. Before we let you go, you've intrigued me with this... Con- you've got a true crimes... Did you say YouTube channel? That yes. has religious yes. tie-in. So can you give us like an yes. example of something? And we're going to put yeah. a link to that in the show notes as well. Oh, I can give you so many examples. Oh my gosh. Okay, so I love true crime, but I'm also you know deconstructing. And I do... Uh, I'm a certified trauma recovery coach whose focus is religious trauma. So mesh those together and you get true crime that's related to religion. So my series is called When Religion and Crime Collide and I cover any kind of true crime true crime cases that are related to religion in some way, shape or form. So to give you some examples, one of the cases that I'll be covering um, eventually, um, BTK, do you know who that serial killer is? Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you know how they caught BTK? No. I do not. Okay. So how they caught, yeah, Kyle knows. Okay. So how they caught BTK was from a floppy disk. They, he, you know, BTK sent in and was like, you know, can you catch me from a floppy disk? Because he'd always like send in those letters to the police, to the journalists. Well, they were like, no, we can't track a floppy disk. That's fine. So BTK sent in the floppy disk and they were able to track the floppy disk to a church. And they were able to tie it back to this man who was like, I think he was like a deacon or something in his church. Um, and he, he was BTK. And this whole time, he was this church going wonderful husband, father, who was also a serial killer. It's always the deacons. Yep. Yep. And then a case that I just covered was um, the death of Lucas Leonard. It covers the church, the Word of Life Christian Church. It was a cult. um, And they were crazy like very strict. And it was one of those churches that like the father founded it and then passed it down to his daughter. And when she took it on, she became a tyrannical just dictator. And this boy wanted to leave and she kept calling him out for all of his sins. And so they decided to have a counseling session after church one day with him and his family. And all of these people in these counseling sessions, they would go till like one o'clock in the morning and they would be made to stand up for hours. And so a lot of these people would just confess to whatever to try to make it end. And so he and his brother started confessing to very horrible things until they decided to start beating them. And then they got a cord, a like plug-in uh, extension cord and 
whipped the boys with it. And one of his sisters whipped him so hard, it punctured a hole in his penis and he bled out so much. And they just left him on the floor, continually beating him until like three o'clock in the morning until he died. And they rushed him to the hospital. But like when they got to the hospital, he was already dead. Yep. Eight, eight or nine people were sentenced for his murder. Oh my God. Oh my yeah. goodness. How long ago was that? 2016. Horrific. Wow. Mm-hmm. My yeah. goodness. And that when I actually got to talk to his sister who had left the church the year prior. Oh, wow. <laughs> I got to sit and talk with her. Yeah. About the whole entire thing. It was wild. There's a book called Prayer. Oh, shoot. I'll link you. I'll send it to you guys. You can link it in the show notes, but it's the whole story of the church and it's phenomenal. I can't remember it, but yeah. And it tells the whole entire story. So. That is incredible. Tell us the name of that YouTube channel again. So just search my name, Lacey Bean, but the name of the series is When Religion and Crime Collide. But if you just search my name, you can find me on any social media place. She's the only Lacey Bean. I just looked her up. She's the only Lacey Bean. She's got bright purple hair. (laughs) My husband was like, have you Googled yourself? And I was like, no, I have not. He's like, you're literally all of page one. That's great. I love That's it. That's so fantastic. <laughs> Lacey, thank you so much yeah. for giving us your time tonight. This has been such a treat. Thank, thank you. you again for that review for Parenting Deconstructed. I can't tell you how much that meant oh, to us. My pleasure. And we are definitely going to return the favor when your book comes out. I cannot wait to read it. Thank we'll you. link to it. Uh, we'll plug it on our social media as well when that is available. Yay. And we'd love for you to come back. You have an I would open love to invitation to guest host this yes. podcast oh, anytime. You. It is so much oh fun having you with us. Thank you so much. I would love to. I would love to. This is fun. Always. Thank you, Lacey. You're awesome. It was really fun getting to talk to you. 